and um, Sam looked up at me and he said, Papa, I want to make some mud pies. And I said, Sam, that's an excellent idea. What do you think we need to make mud pies? And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, I need some mud. And he, um, he also said he needed uh, some pie tins and his, his, uh, his um, oven mitts and his favorite binky and his monkey, I think. But that's beside the point. So I said, Sam, that's a great idea. We, uh, you need some mud. So let's look for some mud. And so we're walking along the sidewalk, uh, but there is no mud on the sidewalk. All right, and then we look in the grassy area, but it's too grassy. And then we look in some wood chips uh, that's uh, around a little playground, but it's too wood chippy. And um, so right then I'm despairing that we're ever gonna find any mud for my son Sam, but we come across a, linky, a leaky sprinkler head. And this leaky sprinkler head has provided the perfect mud for mud pies. And Sam sits down in the middle of it and he makes some really, I mean, really top notch mud pies. They were, they were excellent mud pies. And so this is what occurred to me. Sam had a plan and he just needed some soil that was suited for his purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today, soil that's suited for a purpose. Um, the passage that we're looking at today, it, there's, there's a ton in it, and I'm not going to cover even half of it, okay? Uh, I'm going to zero in on the angle that I think um, our church needs to hear the most, okay? But as you follow along in your Bible, you might notice this, you might notice that, and wonder why I'm not talking about it. Um, I just encourage you to, to make a little note and come back and study this passage more in depth later because there's a lot in there. But um, stay with me today because we're going to stay focused. Specifically, we're going to be looking at three things from the parable of the sower. We're going to be looking at the king's word, the king's soil, and the king's secret. And that's all in your outline. So, so the first topic we're going to tackle is the king's word. So if you're taking notes, this is the first section in your bulletin outline. And the passage we're looking at, it's in, a, it's in Mark chapter 4, but to catch the idea of what the king's word is, we need to review chapters 1 through 3 just really briefly, okay? So in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus shows up on the scene and he's proclaiming news, okay? And the news that he's proclaiming is that the kingdom of God is coming, okay? The kingdom of God is coming. Now, this would be sort of like standard crazy prophet talk, except for what happens next, Mark chapters 1 through 3, are, are, they specifically make the case that wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom of God actually seems to show up. It actually seems to show up, and it shows up because Jesus has authority. Okay, He has authority, and we see that in some specific ways. He has authority to teach. He has authority over sickness and disease. He has authority over spiritual forces. He has authority over the weather, and he even claims authority to forgive sin. Now, any good Jew of the day would be like really shocked by this for one very simple reason, and that's because uh, no one is supposed to have this kind of authority except for God alone. And that's the point, all right? The authority of Jesus is shown to be on par with the authority of God himself. And so the word that we're given in Mark chapters 1 through 3 is this, is that the kingdom is coming because the king has come. The kingdom is coming because the king has come. And that's, that's really good news. It's really good news for a change. Um, but then we hit a bump 
The religious and the political leaders who are supposed to be guiding the king's people, they oppose the king. Okay? They oppose the king and they start a plot to destroy him. And so by the time we get to chapter 4, where our passage is, there's a conflict. And on one side, you've got the conspirators against Jesus. And on the other side, you've got Jesus and his disciples. And it seems pretty obvious like who the bad guys are and who the good guys are. You know, the bad guys are the conspirators and the good guys are the disciples, right? But then Jesus does something really unexpected that kind of, I think, upsets the apple cart. He tells a story about listening. And so we're going to listen to the story about listening. Now, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus, he first tells the story and then he explains the story to his disciples. And so only the explanation is in your bulletin because that's what we're going to focus on. But I'm going to read the whole passage to sort of give us a sense of the context. And I'll put it up here on the screen so you can follow along. So listen, this is the king's word. Jesus said, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And now I'm continuing in verse 10 that's in your bulletin. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word. So I want you to imagine you're at home one night when a strange man suddenly comes pounding on your door with urgent news. Okay, and he says, hey, listen, a gas line nearby is broken. You're in grave danger. You need to get out of here immediately. And this is the only safe route. And he points down the darkest and most narrowest street in your neighborhood, the one that you always avoid because it's, it's pretty sketchy. Now, you are going to respond to this news in some way. But what I want you to understand is that your response is actually a result of your underlying belief about this guy. Okay, your response to his news is actually a result of your underlying belief about who this guy is. Okay, for example, if you believe that he's a liar, your response will be to shut the door and go back to your Netflix binge. Okay? <laughs> if you believe that he is telling the truth, but he is mistaken about which street he pointed you down, you're going to go down the other street the one that looks so much nicer and safer, 
Okay? If you believe that, hey, this is a helpful guy, but he really doesn't understand how much I have uh, invested in this property, you might take his advice, but not before you make some calls and line up your finances and gather up all of your valuables. Okay? But if you believe that he is trustworthy, you will drop everything and follow him. Okay, so what I want you to see is this. When you hear news, how you respond is a result of what you believe. Okay? How you respond is a result of what you believe. And if what you believe is wrong, your response will be wrong. You get that? So in this parable, Jesus illustrates four different ways that people respond to the news that he's proclaiming. And in the same way as the story with, with the gas leak... Uh, we're going to see that each response is a result of a different belief about Jesus. And Jesus uses this parable to warn his disciples and us about wrong beliefs and hopefully to point us back to the right belief. So let's take a look at these three wrong responses first. In your bulletin outline, we're under the heading that reads, uh, The King's Soil. And we see the first uh, wrong response in verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And in Luke's version of this parable, it says that they hear, but they don't believe. Okay, they hear, but they don't believe. They reject the word of the king. So right there uh, to the left of number one in your bulletin, I want you to write this down. Write down, they hear, but they reject. Okay, that's the first wrong response. Now, I think it's obvious that the folks who are conspiring against Jesus, they fall into this camp, right? They've heard the king's word, and they have rejected it. Um, and it's pretty easy, I think, to see the underlying belief of where this response comes from, because in chapter 3, verse 22, they accuse Jesus of being in league with Satan, okay? And so I think underneath this response of rejection is this belief. It's that the king is a fraud, Okay, they believe that the king is a fraud. Now, I don't think that there's too many of us here that actually struggle with this, that, they, that we've concluded that Jesus is a fraud, but, but I don't know. And so let me just say this. Um, scripture does not present the enemies of Jesus as having sort of um, objectively assessed the evidence and come to the logical conclusion that based on, you know, uh, exhibit A, B, and C, Jesus, we must conclude that you are a fraud. Um, it's not presented like that at all. Um, it actually seems, it's actually obvious that something else is going on. We see in chapter 3, verse 5, that Jesus is grieved and he's angered at these people, not because of their lack of knowledge, but because of their hardness of heart. All right? It's hardness of heart. There's a sense of them, like, digging their heels in against Jesus, even as the evidence mounts that he is indeed king and a good king. And so it's not that they have wrong information, it's that they have a wrong heart, okay? And notice what this hardness does. Uh, Jesus says it gives opportunity to Satan. Um, the hard soil hears the word, but it rejects it. And Satan comes along and he snatches away even the opportunity to believe. So being hard soil is extremely dangerous. But if, if underneath it all, I actually believe that the king is a fraud, well, then, of course, I'm going to refuse 
to trust him with my allegiance. Okay, with my allegiance. There's no way I'm going to submit to the king's authority if I think he's a fraud. And Jesus knows this, and that's why this is the first wrong response. Okay, so at this point, Jesus is talking about those folks that have, like, openly rejected Jesus. And I, and I sort of imagine the crowd of disciples listening to Jesus while sort of casting disdainful glances over at those uh, conspirators over there and, and kind of doing that churchy thing where they're like, mm-hmm, amen, Jesus. Preach it, right? They're like, they're taking shots at the conspirators, right? And that's easy, it's fun, um, feels good. But then Jesus kind of makes it awkward for everybody. He makes it awkward for everybody. He points out the second wrong response in verse 17. He says, these folks endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So in your bulletin to the left of number two, I want you to write down, they hear, but they misunderstand. Okay, because that's the, the second wrong response. Jesus knows that some people, even folks in the crowd around him, they expect to be comfortable. Okay, and words like tribulation and persecution, they're just not on the radar. And Jesus wants them and us to know, man, that they have misunderstood. They are like, um, they're like somebody coming out of a naval recruiting office thinking that they just signed up for a pleasure cruise. Okay, they are mistaken. Okay, as, as a Navy brat, I can tell you, uh, they have misunderstood. Um, and so I think underneath this response uh, of misunderstanding is this belief. It's the belief that the king is a cruise captain, okay? It's the belief that the king is the captain of a pleasure cruise. See, if my belief about Jesus is, man, Jesus is great. He shows me beauty. He supplies all my needs. He fills me with joy and peace, and he never takes me anywhere I don't want to go. I am mistaken. I have misunderstood See, because when the king leads me into tribulation and when the king's mission brings persecution, man, I'm over the side, right? That's not what I signed up for. And here's how this plays out in my life. If deep down I believe that the king is a cruise captain, I will refuse to trust him with my suffering. I'm going to refuse to trust him with my suffering. When following the king means I get passed up for a promotion, when following the king means I don't fit in, when following the king means uh, I lose friends, when following the king means my life gets more complicated, it gets more uncomfortable, it gets more challenging, not less, when following the king means I'm not going on a cruise, I'm, I'm going into battle, man, if I just believe that the king is a cruise captain, I'm never, I'm never going to trust him with this kind of suffering. And Jesus knows that. And that's why he calls this out as the second wrong response. And Jesus talks about the third wrong response in verse 18 and 19. This is what he says. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, they enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So to the left of number three, I want you to write down, they hear, but they're distracted. Okay? 
That's the third wrong response. Some of us think that we can serve two masters. And some of us think that we're so good at serving two masters, maybe we can serve three or four or five. See, we hear what the king says, but we're distracted by other voices. And I think underneath this response of distraction is a belief that the king is really a co-pilot. All right, the king is, he's a co-pilot. He's got some good ideas, but you know what? So do I. And when it comes down to it, I'm the pilot. And I'm the one calling the shots. And here's how this plays out in my life. Um, when deep down I believe that the king is just a co-pilot, I will refuse to trust him with my loves. All right? All of my cares, all of my desires, um, the things that I stay up at night worrying about, um, the things that entice and tempt me, all the things that are so deeply embedded in me that they feel like they're part of my identity. It's like the siren call of, of significant success or the yearning for comfort or the hunger uh, to control things, the ache for intimacy. I mean, those are just a few of mine. See, if I believe that the king is just my co-pilot, I am never going to trust him with these things, not these things. And Jesus knows that. And that's why this is the third, it's the third wrong response. And I think at this point, in that group of disciples, Jesus has made it really awkward for everybody. And I don't know about you, but... Um, I struggle with every single one of these. I mean, just this week, <laughs> preparing for this sermon, man, I was just like, it was like a truck hit me. I mean, I, I, I dug my heels in against Jesus as he lovingly exerted his authority in my life. And um, I was shocked and dismayed and surprised and outraged that he would call me to suffer on his mission. And I heard um, the clamor of other desires just trying to drown out his voice. That's what I experienced this week, and it was a good week, <laughs> you know? Um, then we come to the fourth response, and it's in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and they accept it, and they bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So to the left of number four there in your bulletin, I want you to write down, they hear and they accept. Okay, these are the ones who hear the king's word and they accept it. And that word, accept, it means to take something to heart. It means to make it your own, to put your trust in it. See, the kingdom is coming because the king has come. And beneath this response of acceptance is this belief. It's that the king is trustworthy. The king is trustworthy. And I think that this plays out in three significant ways. If the king is trustworthy, he's trustworthy with my allegiance. Okay, that means I willingly submit myself to his authority. I acknowledge the preeminence of his word and his right to teach and correct me. And I give him my respect. 
and my attention and my loyalty and my time and my talent and my treasure, my praise and my worship. And here's the thing. That kind of trust, it, it bears fruit. It's fruit that blossoms into things like, like humility and gratitude and faithfulness and steadfastness and a celebration of the king's authority in my life. Because the king is trustworthy. And then secondly, if the king is trustworthy, he's trustworthy with my suffering. I know that following him means tribulation and persecution sometimes. But I also know that God does not waste suffering and he is able to turn the tables and to bring good even out of evil. And that kind of trust, it, it bears fruit. It's fruit which blossoms into things like, like patience and endurance and character and hope and understanding and empathy and compassion and peace and a faith that actually deepens in the midst of suffering because the king is trustworthy. And finally, if the king is trustworthy, he's trustworthy with my loves. Jesus is, is the true lover of the deepest parts of my soul. The deepest parts of my soul. And although he will not share me with any other lover, he delights to give me the desires of my heart, starting with his very own self. Brothers and sisters, this kind of trust, it bears fruit, fruit which blossoms into a fullness of joy because the king is trustworthy. See, this is the right response to the king's word. This is the king's soil. The kingdom is coming because the king has come. And when you hear the good news, how you respond is a result of what you believe. When you hear this news, how you respond is a result of what you actually believe. So what do you believe about the king? So we just have one last important thing to look at. Take a look at verse 11. He said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. The secret of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I want to know what the secret is. Remember my son Sam. He had a plan. He just needed soil that was suited for his purpose. Well, I think in the same way the king has a plan. He just needs soil that's suited for a purpose. Look back at verse 20. Jesus says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And here it is. They bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So here's the king's secret. The kingdom comes when we bear fruit. The kingdom comes when we bear fruit. Jesus gives us no category for a soil that is good and fruitless. Okay, good soil always bears fruit. And I think in this parable, Jesus is, is kind of pulling back the curtain and giving us a peek at the secret, at the mystery of a God who saves his people from their sin, 
so that he can send them out on a mission of fruitfulness. You see that? In his wisdom, God has ordained that one of the means by which his kingdom is coming is through you, and through you, and through you. Bill, wake up. You. It's coming through Bill. It's coming through Chad. See, he saves us so that he can send us. I mean, just take a look at this list of fruit that comes out of the good soil. Humility. Gratitude, steadfastness, celebration, patience, endurance, character, hope, understanding, empathy, compassion, peace, faith in suffering, a fullness of joy. Do you think our city needs more people like this? Do you think our world needs more people like this? We talk a lot about a renewed people renewing the city. This is what we mean. This is what we're talking about. See, his kingdom comes when we bear this kind of fruit. I just have one last thought. If you hear that the kingdom is coming because the king has come, but you struggle like I do, with hardness, with rockiness, with thorniness. If you hear that the kingdom is coming because the king has come, but you struggle, like I do, to believe that the king is trustworthy with your allegiance and with your suffering and with your loves, I want you to remember one thing. Fruit does not grow from the soil. Fruit does not grow from the soil. It grows from the seed that is in the soil. Okay, the soil's job is to receive the seed. And the seed is the king himself. The king himself who came and gave up his life so that yours might be saved, so that you might bear much fruit. Let's pray. Jesus, the kingdom is coming because you have come. And wherever you are, your kingdom blossoms forth fruitfulness. And I fear that, um, that our theology is too small. We know that you came, that we might be saved from our sins, and we rejoice, uh, we rejoice to receive your grace. Um, but we so easily forget, man, I so easily forget uh, that you have saved us in order that you might send us out on your mission to the city and beyond. Come, Holy Spirit, will you dig out the harness and the rocks and the thorns? Will you make us good soil, ready to receive the seed of your word? Bear fruit in and through us 
so that your kingdom might come in all of its fullness on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the King who has come. Amen.